Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And you guys, right now, there are a lot of emotions. There's anger, frustration, stress, confusion, grief, sacred rage. There's a little bit of everything. And it's a lot. It's, it feels as though every one of those emotions has all the exclamation points after it. And we are not taught how to process emotions in school. In fact, we're not even taught how to label emotions in school. And so a lot of us end up turning to food to numb, to comfort ourselves, to just try to cope with our emotions. And so this is why I am so excited to share this episode with you. This is a conversation with Jessica Prosini, who's an emotional eating expert. She's on a mission to help people heal the roots of their emotional eating so they can use food as fuel rather than a way to cope, soothe, and attempt to escape their busy, stressful life. You guys, if you've been using food to help you cope with emotions, it's okay. Everything is okay. I want to help you heal. And I hope this episode is helpful. I'm going to get out of the way now. I love you. Go forth and be awesome. Jessica, I'm so excited to do this with you. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. This, we've already been talking a little bit and this, we just, we need to talk about emotions. Yes. <laughs> like just, that's what I want to shout from the rooftops right now. Like we've got to talk about emotions. We've got to heal our stuff. It, it, this is part of humaning. Mm-hmm. We all have emotions yeah. and it's normal and we need to learn how to deal with them. Yeah. And not be afraid to talk about them, not feel weak for having them or not even being afraid to even feel them. Mm. There's so many layers to this. There's so many layers to it. So let's start out with a little bit about your background. How did you get into talking about emotional eating, experiencing emotional eating, all everything emotional eating? Yeah. So from the time I was six years old, I had a love-hate, torturous relationship with food. Food was the first thing that I thought about when I woke up. It was the thing on my mind when my head hit the pillow. It haunted me, and it definitely had control over me for many, for two decades, honestly. When I was stressed, when I was anxious, when I was overwhelmed, or even looking to escape, I always turned to food. And I really tried to manage it with eating healthy, especially as I got older. I uh, eventually went to nutrition school, but I ended up binging my way through that nutrition school. So then I decided that I'll try and manage it through exercise. And I decided to quit my corporate job in fashion and become a fitness instructor convinced that if I worked out every day, I would surely be able to work off everything that I had overeaten. And that didn't work either. I was feeling very out of control with food. I didn't fit the typical stereotype though. I didn't have hundreds of pounds to lose. You would never know what was really going on between me and food by looking at me. So I tried to talk to my friends about it. And they were like, oh, Jessica, you know, everyone overeats. Come on, let's go work out. And we would try to like work out to exercise off what I was complaining about. I tried to talk to my partner about it. And he was like, oh, Jessica, you know, I'll love you no matter what size you are, which is everything that we want our partners to say and be supportive. But what boggled my mind was, how could he love me when all I wanted to do was crawl out of my own skin? Mm. And I spent over 932 hours on a therapy couch 
and none of it touched my relationship with food. I felt more out of control than ever and was really looking at Overeaters Anonymous as a last resort. But again, I didn't fit the typical stereotype. I didn't feel like I fit in there. Um, And I was running out of options and feeling really, really hopeless. I was a change maker. I'm not the kind of person who can just like sit with things and be okay with them not being right. And I knew my relationship with food was not right. There was something wrong here. And I wanted peace. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be normal with food. It's food uh, after all, you know, like something we have to engage with. And at that point, I made a decision to dedicate myself to investigating every single nook and cranny of my relationship with food, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And what blew my mind was what I discovered. I discovered answers that people were not talking about, that food goes way beyond what we're eating and how much we're exercising. And what I discovered from over a decade of that research was the four roots of emotional eating, which is the core of everything that I teach and support others with now. But I dedicated myself to healing those four roots, and that was when everything changed. It's been four and a half years now since I have emotionally eaten or even felt a tinge of compulsion with food. Food is a nourishing asset to me. It is a way I fuel my body and therefore fuel my life purpose. I can't tell you how much energy I got back from no longer worrying about food, thinking about it all the time, or being frustrated or feeling guilty about what I had just eaten. Mm -hmm. So I took all that energy and I channeled it into creating Escape from Emotional Eating. And that is now like my life's purpose and my mission is to share what I know so that other people don't have to spend two decades or more of their life fighting food. There is another way. We just have to learn how to do it. I just realized, let's talk definitions quickly. How do you define emotional eating? So I define emotional eating as using food for a purpose other than fuel. Mm. So anytime that we are eating because we're scared, anxious, even happy is emotional eating. And we have to start to look at the definition of why are we eating? Not what, not how much, because I have my fair share and years and years of overeating healthy food, that's still emotional eating. And emotional eating can look like having one of something or it can look like having 20. And that was another myth that really kept me trapped in this cycle of like wondering what was wrong with me and never really getting anywhere because I was under this impression that I had to at least be able to eat 10 bags of potato chips and then then I would be an emotional eater. And then, then I would go to Overeaters Anonymous meeting and fit in. Little did I know that there's this whole other side of it of like, yeah, Jessica, like eating a couple bananas, like three bananas at once standing in your kitchen is not normal. That's, mm. that's like not normal um, because you're not hungry. You're not physically hungry. You're filling a void, you're filling a hole, you're avoiding something within yourself. And that really is what emotional eating is all about. So as much as the total lack of validation from your friends and family must have hurt, it sounds like it eventually nudged you to do exactly what you're supposed to do here. Yeah. I don't think they knew. I don't think I knew at that time that I was emotionally eating. I just thought I wasn't eating healthy enough or I wasn't working out hard enough. Hmm. So in other words, you weren't enough? 
Exactly. That was exactly what I was about to say. It's like, I just felt like I wasn't enough. And I just kept pushing and pushing and almost like trying to manipulate myself in some way to feel enough. But that not enoughness is also the very same reason why I was eating in the first place. Yeah. Do you know, you said you started this when you were six. Like, do you remember starting? Yes. Yeah. So the earliest memory um, that I can remember is when I was six years old and I was at my uh, neighbor's house with my older brother and we were in the basement and they were playing video games and I was like the little sister, you know, like hanging in the periphery because my mom was out or something like that. And I remember feeling bored I remember sneaking upstairs into my neighbor's kitchen and seeing a big uh, canister of cookies. And they're the kinds with the M&Ms in them, so like the good ones. And I remember like pulling a chair over to the counter because I couldn't reach and like pulling the cookie jar close to me and sticking my little six-year-old hand in that jar and eating every single cookie. And I remember putting the lid back on, sliding it back, putting the chair back, and going downstairs with my brother and pretending like nothing had ever happened. And that was the beginning. And I rem- then, then there are like other memories, like when I was 16, uh, you know, that's where like the compulsion and sort of like this attachment to food, that's where those memories come from. And then um, when I was in my 20s, I was in an abusive relationship. So that's when food really became safety for me in a lot of different ways. And that's when things just really got out of hand. Um, And that's when I started to go to therapy. But no one was talking to me about emotional eating. Um, Again, because I didn't fit the stereotype. I didn't. I wasn't obese. I wasn't showing any physical symptoms other than like I think about food a lot and people were always like everyone does I'm like no this isn't normal <laughs> so what what can um like therapists and coaches do better on that front well I think there is uh, like a bit of a gap when it comes to education of it. And that's really where like I'm so passionate about teaching about the four roots because the four roots have nothing to do with food. Um, So I think there's more education for professionals about, about it. I think we need to be having more active conversations about it. I talk to a lot of, um, health coaches who are even ashamed to even point out to their clients that emotional eating is going on. And I'm like getting uh, emotional about this because I went to a health coach and I shared what was going on with my relationship with food and she never pointed it out. She never said anything. Um, And I just like think back on that. And if I had known earlier, I could have done things so differently. It could have saved me years of my life. And and then there's this other piece um, that, you know, really makes my experience different is because I've lived through it. Like I know what it feels like to feel crazy around food. And it's a different kind of uh, support and a different kind of conversation than someone who simply taught about taught it from a textbook or class or from a clinical perspective. There's a deeper level of empathy. There's a deeper level of understanding, and therefore, there's a deeper level of transformation. Um, and there's also differing perspectives in the sense that a lot of people think emotional eating is something that they have to live with for the rest of their life. But I am a walking example that actually you can unlearn this. This is a learned behavior, often unconsciously, that we can unlearn. I just want to say, I see you. 
That's all. Thank you. I see you. I'm sorry for your suffering. And I love that you're doing the work that you're supposed to be doing. Thank you. Yeah. But I'm, it's also one of my greatest gifts. It is the best thing that I've done in my life is truly healing my relationship with food and now getting to teach others and share and have conversations like this. And, you know, a lot of people are afraid to talk about this because it can feel dark or sad or it's not like all the bubbly fluffy stuff, but it's real. Like I'm not the only one who went through this or is going through it. You know, people are actually experiencing this and it's need to change. And I told you, you asked me like what made me jump at your pitch. And I told you that I heard from so many people, especially at the start of the pandemic, I'm emotional eating. What do I do with this? How, what's happening? And then you appeared in my life and we're going to help all of those people. Yes. So I will share um, what the pandemic has done is it has simply heightened things that have already been there. So similar to what I was sharing before, like I started eating when I was six and 16 and, you know, all through my life. But when difficulty arose, like with my abusive relationship, it was simply putting pressure on a pattern and compulsion that was already rooted. It was already there. It was already growing. Um, And that's really what the pandemic has done. And, you know, as we continue to navigate these times, it's just pushing on a wound that is already there and it's rising it to a point where people can't ignore it anymore. We don't have the, uh, luxury of, you know, going to the office or staying busy in the same old ways we, we are actually forced to look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people who are experiencing emotional eating, I would dare to say that it's been there. You just have either been in denial about it, haven't really seen it as clearly, or it's reached a new level. Yeah. I feel like the pandemic was a heal yourself, humans. Look inward. You can't numb with busyness anymore. Yeah. And, and it's so going to continue. It. Yeah. It's going to continue. <laughs> exactly. We're going to keep cutting invitations for that. Yeah. So you've mentioned these four roots. What mm-hmm. are they? So I actually have a um, short video on my website that goes more in depth about the four roots. And my website's escapefromemotionaleating.com. So people who are listening want more information about the four roots, what they are, um, you can go to escapefromemotionaleating.com, enter your name and email, and there's a three-minute video where I just bust through them and give examples and talk more about them. But I will share that one example of one of the roots is fear. So anytime that we are feeling fear, experiencing fear, even fearful of our own fears, we can use food to either numb it, to avoid it, to soothe it, um, and to really distract ourselves from it. So when I was sharing earlier that, um, like the four roots have nothing to do with food, that's an example, right? So like in contrast, some other coaches might say, oh, your sugar cravings, your sugar cravings are a root. No, your sugar cravings are a symptom of the stress that you feel, which is a symptom of the fear that is at the root of it. And that's how the trickle down goes. And fear in my work as a coach, I found some people are very aware of their fear and some people are very much not. Right. Some people will say that they're not afraid of anything. Right. Those are the people you have to watch out for. I know. Because, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. We all, as a human being, we are designed to have fear but we have not been equipped to how to manage it effectively. 
And that's really what, you know, like pandemic and these recent times have heightened. They've heightened our, our, you know, our fears. And then we don't have the tools to manage it or even, you know, try to work through it. So when we don't have the equipment, we have to put something else in place. And the thing that's always around and everywhere is food. Yeah. And right now, that's, this is so not limited to right now, but just as humans, we feel fear, anger, rage, shame, grief, joy. I, I know there are like millions of emotions. And now that I'm trying to list some, I'm totally <laughs> at a loss. Frustration, uh, despondent, despair, self-loathing. You know, there are there are hundreds and hundreds of different emotions. And that was one of the things that when I was like, okay, like I'm obviously emotionally illiterate. Like I don't even know what I'm feeling. I just know I feel weird. And weird is not a feeling. So I need a language. Um and that was really where uh, the beginning stages and what has come to be today is called digesting emotions is a process that I created because I needed a way to know what I was feeling, how to work through it, and be able to move through it so I could show up, show up to work, show up to my life. Because so many people were telling me, oh, like, feel your feelings. And I'm like, what does that even look like? Does that look like just sitting in my room and hoping that my feelings visit? Like, like if I did really feel my feelings, I wouldn't be able to show up in my life because I would just be so in them. There's so much of them. And that's where I'm really passionate about, you know, cutting through emotional overwhelm, becoming emotionally literate, understanding how to read our emotions and then supporting even our emotional metabolism so that we can quote unquote poop out whatever we don't need and keep what is valuable just in the same way like of our physical digestion. We have to keep the nutrient and let go of the waste. And a lot of people don't know how to do that so they're walking around really emotionally constipated. You are not the first person I've heard use that phrase and I love it. And I see it yeah. all over the place. What, how would you start somebody who, someone who considers themselves or may have just realized that they're emotionally illiterate? Where would you help them start? So one of the first stages that um, all of my clients go through is what I call building emotional fitness. And this is where that emotional literacy begins. Um, one example is one of my clients, Liz, who actually just started her journey. She came in saying like, I have no idea what I'm feeling. I, I just know that I emotionally eat. Um, I don't know she was one of those people like, I don't really feel fear. I don't really know what I'm fearing. It was just like, it was almost like she was trying to look in water that was really murky. So through the tools that I teach, like digesting emotions, the fear flush, even just starting to have concentrated focus on how are you feeling? What are the sensations that you're experiencing in your body? And moving that through the tools, she was able to start to see, oh, like I'm eating because fill in the blank. I'm eating because I'm stressed. I'm eating because I'm frustrated at work. I'm eating because I'm bored. And for her, this was like that first layer. And from there, once we start to establish a sense of emotional fitness and emotional literacy, then we can start to untangle things. And that's where we start to move into untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger, and then starting to move even deeper into untangling our mental wires when it comes to food. So, but the first place, the first place, just like if you were to go to the gym, you're gonna start with a traditional bicep curl. 
This emotional fitness, the tools of digesting emotions and fear flush, among others that I teach, are like your emotional bicep curls. And I often say to my clients, like, just in the same way that you would hire a personal trainer to get yourself in physical shape, I am your emotional trainer. And we're going to get you in emotional shape. And you're going to be emotionally resilient, emotionally healthy. Your emotional metabolism is going to be really sharp, really fine, so that when big things happen, like the pandemic, you can actually experience them without destroying yourself with food. And that's what many, many, many of my clients, including myself, have experienced, where in spite of the most difficult things, probably in our lifetime, that they're not turning to food. That's amazing. You just touched on one of the questions. So I had a few listeners submit questions for you. People were very excited that you're coming on. And one of the questions is, how do you tell the difference between true hunger, physical hunger, and emotional hunger? So there's a reason why we actually don't start the journey with that untangling, because we have to first clear the static on the radio station. And the static on the radio station is all of our emotional energy. So we have to first manage the emotional energy so that there is a clear line. There is a clear line to your internal self and your body, and you're able to decipher and define it even more. I've, I've just known this from doing this work for over nine years is that if we just started with like when are you physically hungry and when are you emotionally hungry people would sort of look at like well if I knew that like (laughs) I wouldn't be coming to you so we start with the energy first and we got to clear the line we got to clear the static so it's obvious it is actually obvious we have just been trained and we have just been putting our bodies on mute for so long that we got to stop we got to wake up we got to clear out the clutter and we got to listen and we're going to listen deeply thank you so much for doing this work because as you said like the everything we're experiencing everything in 2020 has shown us the wounds that are just getting more and more visible. I think of it as we've got exclamation points now after everything. Yeah. And just seeing the world right now and seeing how many people don't, don't recognize their emotions. They don't, not only do they not feel their emotions, they probably couldn't give them a name. They don't know how to process them. Certainly don't know how to digest them. In fact, they tend to throw them at other people. Right. Right. So one of the great things about the digesting emotions process that I defined and designed was that we only work with the five major emotions and that immediately cuts through any emotional overwhelm. What are you considering the five major emotions? Mad, sad, glad, scared, and bad. So bad is shame? Shame or guilt. Yeah. Okay. So if someone says, I'm frustrated, right, then we put it through that filter. Okay, well, how how do you feel? Mad, sad, glad, scared, bad. And they can usually define, I feel mad and I feel scared. Or I feel mad and I feel sad. So it doesn't have to just be one emotion at a time. It is very rare that we are feeling one emotion at one time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think um, trips a lot of people up is they sort of have this expectation that our emotions are very black and white and they're not. We We can feel fear, we can be scared, but we can also be really happy at the same time. And um, there's also a process that I created called digesting gladness, which is a way of processing happiness and joy, because if we're not even processing the good stuff, it's what it turns to crap. We don't even recognize it in the same way that if, even if we eat healthy, but we can't physically digest it, we're going to get sick. Yeah. Okay. 
I'm just thinking through all of this. I want to get to a couple of these other questions right now. Um, I'm trying to figure out if you've already answered this one. We're just going to go for it. What do you do when eating doesn't seem to be satisfying your hunger? So we would have to back up the truck a little bit and I'd have to ask this person, um, is it physical when you say physical hunger or emotional hunger? And since they're not here, I'm going to assume that it's not satisfying their emotional hunger mm-hmm. because there is, it is very obvious when we are satisfied physically, when our lines are clear, I will say. Yeah. Cause that's another question that somebody asked. Yeah. So when food isn't satisfying our emotional hunger, which FYI, it never will. It'll never satisfy our emotional hunger. We have to then look at what are our emotional needs? What are we really hungry for? And there are four major emotional food groups that we work with. So similar to like the five major emotions, there are four emotional food groups so that we can start to understand like, what am I really hungry for? So going back to the question, if the person is saying, this isn't satisfying my hunger, to me, it's a red flag there. This is emotional hunger. And then it's about understanding what are they really hungry for? So an example, I was just having this conversation with one of my clients and she was saying that um, she was experiencing some emotional eating around like some things that were going on in her family recently. And um, we put it through the four roots and then we put it through digesting emotions. And what we discovered was that she was actually really hungry for a sense of safety. But her original statement to me is like, I notice I'm gravitating towards food to create some happiness. That to me is that's just like the surface. So let's get underneath that. And what we actually really discovered is that she's eating because she doesn't feel safe. And then it's about creating that internal sense of safety, which I have safety tools that I teach and we practice together because when we don't feel safe, we will reach for food to create that false sense of safety in the same way. Like if we don't feel a sense of connection, we'll reach for food to create that false sense of it. Do we tend to gravitate towards certain foods with certain cravings? Like if we're, I'm just thinking if we're craving safety, would we reach more for like root vegetables for that grounded feeling? For, for the people that I work with who are under high stress, uh, high pressure, high achieving kind of lifestyle, Um, they typically gravitate towards high fat or high sugar foods um, because those are the foods that will create, uh, it's the foods that the body will gravitate towards because it's in a fight or flight freeze mode. Um, And that's where you hear like a lot of people say, I really crave carbs, pretty much sugar. I, at the end of a long stressful day, I'll pour myself a glass of wine and end up drinking the whole bottle, sugar. Uh, I really like cheese, fat. Um, So it's, for the people that I work with, it's usually the high fat, high sugar foods. Um, And and even high fat could be spoonfuls of almond butter. You know, it can be healthy too. Um, And do people, I remember hearing somewhere, like if you're angry, you might want something crunchy. Is that yeah? Real? So that is a that's a little bit of um, what I teach when it comes to digesting emotions, and that we have to remember that it's called emotional eating for a reason because there's an emotion present, and emotions are connected to energy. So when we're trying to like process our emotions, but we don't know how in a healthy way we'll use a like tool, aka food to try to do it. And that crunchy feeling is just 
the body trying to change how it feels. It's like a, it's like an attempt to like change the energy that they're feeling in their body or move the energy that they're feeling in the body, but it doesn't work because they're usually eating when they're not hungry. They're usually eating food that they shouldn't be eating and it just creates a whole bunch of health issues. So yes, we must move energy, particularly um, energy that is coming, you know, very intensely through emotions. Um, and we can do that in a variety of ways. We don't have to just do it with food or eating something crunchy, but it's just that way of like, I'm trying to change how I feel by giving myself a different sensation by literally chewing. And I had a mentor once tell me that shamans, um, would, literally chew as a way to process difficult energy they like even if they weren't eating something they would chew and i know that i've had like friends and things like that chew gum when they're really stressed it's just like a way to, that the body is trying to like process and move through things but we have healthier ways to do it so that we're not consuming when we're not hungry that's so interesting too, how smart the body is. The body wants to move those things through, even if we are totally unaware from a conscious yeah. level. Yeah. The body is a magnificent vehicle. And if you would, you would have never caught me saying that like 15 years ago, I would say like my body, there's something wrong with my body. It can't be trusted. I, you know, I've, I got a bad one, you know, I'm missing something. <laughs> I got a lemon. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now like I can really understand how magnificent the body is, how miraculous it is. And I think a lot of people, particularly who struggle with compulsion with food, feel like they can't trust their body because what they're feeling and what they're experiencing is so out of the norm, but it's just a sign. It's a signal and we need a better way of communicating it with it, having the language with it, the compassion, because if we know like, Oh, I'm gravitating towards something because I'm angry. Great. Let's process the anger and move that energy through rather than going through a whole bag of pretzels. How did you learn to trust your body? It took me years, honestly. I mean, it's sort of like, how do you learn to trust anyone, right? You don't like, even though there's all those like dating shows, like married without seeing each other. <laughs> like, you know, like those things don't last because we need, it's like building any relationship. It's like, it's almost like dating yourself again. Um, and it took me years for me, without having what I have now and, you know, like really piecing this all together as I was going through it, it took me many years from the time that I concentratedly committed to like, okay, I need to heal this to like a point where I was no longer emotionally eating. That was years between there. Now for my clients, because they have support and the systems and like, they accelerate so much more quickly through that. But the time that it took me, you know, it still takes time to learn to trust ourselves in the same way it took me years to learn to trust my husband, you know, like, and even still, there's still things that come up. And I, you know, sort of wonder, like, is he going to be there? And the same way that it took me years to wonder, like, am I, am I going to be okay? if I'm not using food to, to cope or to soothe. Yeah. That must've been really scary. If you've been buffering yourself, like protecting yourself from your emotions, food for all of these years, how did you even like that first time you stopped doing it, you didn't protect yourself with food. What was that like? So I remember that I would have this experience um, when I would feel my satiation. So I'd start to feel full. And then I would have this experience where my mind would like load up 
all of these crazy thoughts. And one of the things that I, I feared the most, that if I were to just really honor that satiation and walk away from this food that's still on my plate and is delicious, that I honestly felt like I wouldn't eat again. And, um, you know, through using the tools that I now teach and managing like my emotions and things like that, the volume on that fear turned down to then eventually got eliminated. Um, but it was scary. I mean, just like any kind of change was or is, you know, it's sort of like letting go of the trapeze and hoping that you can clutch the other side. Now, one of the things that like really gave me confidence was like always sort of having a safety net. So like that's where the tools come in because I know that no matter what happens in the world, in my life, I can handle it because I have these tools. They work. I use them regularly. I've seen them work. I have the experience with it. Like I know I can go to that. Um, and it's through that confidence and sort of like being able to rely on myself again was the training that I had to learn so that I could feel that satiation and be like, I'm good. See you in a couple hours when I'm hungry again um, and come back to it without fear or what ifs or feeling scared. Is loneliness a part of emotional eating? I'm asking because in terms of like learning to trust your body, once you trust your body, then you're never alone because you're always hanging out with your body. But if yes. you don't trust your body, then like you're all alone when you're all alone. Yes. So I recently, before COVID happened, um, I, we just got back from one of my retreats. My retreats are called the escape and the escape is um, really built around focusing on one of the roots each time. And we had just gotten back from the escape where we focused on the root of emotional eating that's called self-abnegation, which means that you'll sacrifice yourself and you'll sacrifice yourself to really win the approval of others. So like, let's say your grandmom makes her famous key lime pie and you're gluten-free and you don't want to offend her. So you end up eating the pie but then you end up with a stomach ache. So that's an example of self-abnegation. But on the flip side, the emotional hunger that is associated with that is a need for a sense of belonging. And we all have this as humans. We all need a sense of belonging, not just emotional eaters. So we were talking about how to really be that sense of belonging? How can we belong first to ourselves so that we can move throughout the world and feel that sense of belonging no matter where we go or what's going on? And loneliness is simply that sign that we need a sense of belonging. We don't feel connected because I certainly, and I know through this pandemic, I've certainly been around people and felt lonely, felt very lonely. Mm -hmm. I've been around, you know, been in groups of people before. Um, this was pre-COVID. Uh, and like had that ache of loneliness and filled it with food. But only to discover that what I really needed was that sense of belonging with ourselves and myself. That is so interesting. When I first went gluten-free like 10, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, I remember a bunch of people, like it just kept happening again and again. People would ask me, how can you, how can you stick with it? And I was like, well, it's easy. If I eat gluten, I get really sick. So I don't do that. And I never understood why people were like, yeah, I get a stomachache or I get a rash. And I was like, so why do you do it? And you just explained that. So thank you. You're welcome. Now, the tricky part are for the people who don't experience extreme symptoms. 
right? Where they can, they can eat gluten, for example, and maybe they just feel bloated for a couple of days, but you know, their bowels are regular, everything else is regular. That's where we, where I find it to be the most challenging because the body is giving a signal and we have a choice. Do, do we want to be bloated? Do we not want to be bloated? You want to be bloated? Fine. Do whatever you want to do. But if you're really, you know, a change maker and your body is this vehicle for your mission, your, your message, your mission, you know, your purpose, you know, we don't really have time to be feeling icky in our body. So then we have to make a choice. And a lot of times the mind will try to play these games of like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, I don't have a stomachache. I don't go into shock or anything. You know, like I don't break out in hives. I just get bloated. Who cares? But that adds up. The body keeps score. And you just really have to ask yourself, you know, do I want to spend three days out of every week feeling bloated? I know I don't. I don't. So. You can't be your best self when you're bloated. Right. No matter how small the symptom is, like that's keeping you from being your best self. Yeah. And then anyone who uses that is simply saying like, oh, it's actually like not okay to be who I really want to be. You know, it's too much or, you know, too high maintenance, but I think we actually really just need to question when did we start saying that feeling sick is fine? Mm-hmm. When did we start saying that feeling bloated is not that big of a deal? Oh my God, yes. And let's take a little note on human design here for the manifestors and manifesting generators. If you've got like the karma that we are heal- here to heal includes being brave enough to be big and shiny and sparkly because that is what we're here for. We're here to have really big energy. Yeah. So as kids, we're often told, be quiet, don't take up space, shrink yourself, you're too much. Yeah. Of course, it all intersects with food. Food can definitely be a way to shrink yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially emotional eating. It's just, you're basically extinguishing your light every time that you step out of integrity with Mm. yourself. That's what this is really about is integrity. Is there a difference between trust and integrity? Um, I've come to know that the definition of integrity is honesty. And I truly believe that we can't really trust someone or something unless we really are being honest. So I think they're definitely connected, but I think it's really about that willingness to be vulnerable and and then trusting that when we are vulnerable, that we are safe in the process. Let's talk a little bit about vulnerability because I have heard that people sometimes, well, I already know people are uncomfortable being vulnerable, but that sometimes people will unconsciously add more weight to their body to protect themselves so they're yes. not they're not exposed. They're not visible. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that part of emotional eating? Absolutely. And it's connected to safety as we talked about before, um, because when we can't create our own sense of safety, we'll, we'll search for it and it will create it in an unhealthy manner. Um, so it's absolutely connected. And the work of Louise Hay um, in like, different symptoms within the body mean different things. That's essentially what she found with excess weight. Excess weight is this this protection essentially and a barrier between the outside world and who we really are, which is like such a shame because don't we want people to know who we really are? Don't we want to bring that out into the world? Isn't that part of living our best life and even, you know, human design and all of those things is like, we want to know who we are so that we can stop apologizing for it. We can stop hiding and we can stop dimming our light and then we can be agents for change. Yes. 
<laughs> um, mic drop right there. And now some more questions from listeners. Um, how do you redirect? In other words, if <laughs> she says, how do you stop once you open your mouth and you start shoving food in it? So this is a, this is a bit of a slippery slope because when we are actually in the emotional eating cycle, depending on your training and meaning the level of your emotional and mental fitness, if you are untrained, which if you're emotionally eating, you're untrained. Um, but if you are untrained and you are in the emotional eating cycle, it is very, very, very hard to stop because of what is going on with your nervous system, what is going on with your mind. Um, and I go more in depth with this in my programs, but we talk about it as like your lid has been flipped. You lose access to the rational part of your mind, your prefrontal cortex, and you are driving from a fight flight, big feeling part of your brain. So that's why a lot of people say like, I know I shouldn't be eating this, but their body is still moving in the action of consuming. And that's where the emotional fitness starts to come in as a proactive approach to turning down the volume and keeping our lid on when it comes to the compulsive pattern. So there are a lot of um, like teachers and, and conversation about that when you're, you know, you feel the craving, you feel the urge to do something else, like go for a walk, drink water, uh, you know, move something. Um, and that doesn't work because from my experience, I would go for that walk or I'd have that water and then I'd just come back and eat. It didn't really get to the root of what was going on. So we can't just put distraction on top of distraction. We have to get to the root of it. And I truly believe we have to be proactive so that when, you know, the choice point comes that we are better equipped, we are stronger mentally and emotionally. And then eventually as time goes on, you don't even have those choice points anymore. Like for me, being where I am, it's just not on my radar anymore. I just don't, it's just not a part of my brain, honestly, where before it was very much part of my brain is part of something I did every day. So the thing I just want to share for everyone listening, what I'm hearing you screaming from the rooftops is you can't change your emotional eating by continuing to ignore your emotions. Yes. Okay. You, you can't heal your emotional eating by continuing to ignore anything. Yes. Like emotional eating is a sign that you have gone unconscious somewhere in your life and your body is screaming for your attention and for your support. And you are just shoving it down, basically saying, shut up, mm -hmm. shut up, shut up, shut up. And what happens is the body, so smart, it's just going to keep screaming louder and louder and louder until you uh, have a really detrimental health scare or you aren't able to show up at your job or you really screw something up because you weren't present, because you've just been stuffing yourself and numbing yourself. My hope is that you don't wait until those points. You don't wait until the weight gets to be too much. You don't wait until you are having panic attacks. You don't wait. Pay attention. Listen. Get help. Create the change. Such goodness. So now, what would you say to someone who started dieting at 15 and she's just learned woken up to the fact that there's an option other than dieting. So she's like been in this diet culture for the majority of her life. How do you help people extract themselves from that? And what is diet culture? So diet culture is, um, 
something that has been getting a lot of attention, particularly through social media. And it's essentially um, looking at diets and the mindset and the beliefs that diets um, basically entrain within ourselves to believe. So like, for example, um, diet culture can often be like, you can't trust your body. So we have to control it. And we control it through portion control, calorie counting, like your body is not to be trusted. Where, you know, what I believe is that your body is to be trusted. You just haven't learned the language. Um, and, you know, wrapped into diet culture is this sense that a certain type of body is better than another. And that, uh, you know, that if you don't look a certain way, you're not enough or you're not worthy. Um, and that it's about, you know, diets and weight loss and your weight is basically what makes you worthy. So going against diet culture is essentially going against all of those beliefs and methods and things like that. And it's a really empowering movement. Um, for someone who is young, I actually want to speak to their parents because emotional eating is not something that we are born with. I wasn't born with it. Other people are not born with it. What we are born with is our family dynamic and our culture. And that is where we learn, just like we would learn how to walk or, you know, other patterns and behaviors. We learn them from our family and from our culture. So to the 15-year-old girl, I would actually want to speak to her parents and be looking at her parents to see, are they emotional eaters? What is the family relationship with food? What is the conversation going on in the household when it comes to food? Because a lot of women that I work with, while yes, they want to like heal their relationship with food, there's also this, this other part of it where they don't wanna pass this on. And they either have a young child or they're even seeing their children start to have issues with food and they know that they're just not equipped because they haven't healed themselves first. So first thing that I would say is that I want to talk to your parents and I want to see what's going on in that dynamic. And then, you know, as she's moving through her day to day, it's really important that she is in a community of like-minded people where, you know, they're not having conversations about how their pants fit or they're not saying things like, oh, I feel so fat. Um, because again, we learn. And that's one of the things, you know, my escape from emotional eating programs, there is an element of community because number one, it's so freeing to see ourselves in someone else and recognize, oh, I'm not alone. Because I definitely felt so alone when I was going through my emotional eating journey. And then, you know, the escape from emotional eating community is a very high level, high achieving driven woman who just like doesn't put up with bullshit. So <laughs> it's really empowering to be in that community because there will be times where you have doubts or things get difficult and you can have people rally around you. Now, I don't work with teenagers. I typically work with women who are 30 and up, um, but I know that there are amazing professionals out there, but I'd be really curious to know more about her parents and her dynamic. Um, for me, my parents were slash are emotional eaters. And I come from many, many generations of addiction, um, previously alcoholism, but my parents said, we're not doing alcohol, but didn't do the deeper healing work and it shifted into food. Um, so that's really where I got a lot of my quote unquote training 
on how to be an emotional eater and why for me it started drying up so young. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you're able to help people all around the world today. Yes. Thanks, exactly. mom and dad. Yes. And there was a period of time where um, my mom was one of my clients, which was a really beautiful experience because I felt like we could sort of like heal some generational patterns um, because she just didn't know. Just like me, I didn't know. Right. And when we know better, we do better. Exactly. Uh, The last question I have from a listener is how does someone move into intuitive eating with ease? So it comes back to emotional fitness. So our intuition is always with us and we can always connect with it. But a lot of times what's getting in the way is the fear, the doubt, the inexperience, the uncertainty, the emotions that we haven't processed. So it comes back to that um, emotional fitness, clearing the clutter, clearing out the noise, clearing out the distraction, clearing out the doubts, so that when you are sitting down, you are clear, you are present, and you can hear. And that's what I've found to be the best way to really practice intuitive eating is to actually clear out all the things that are blocking you from connecting with it. In other words, back to you, you're going to have to like turn the light on. You've got to be aware here. You got to look at your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica, is there anything else, anything we haven't talked about that we need to talk about before we wrap this up? We talked about a lot, so (laughs) we really went forwards and backwards. I would say I would just want to share, you know, to the people who are really wanting this but not sure where to go is to reach out, you know, to go to my website, escapefromemotionaleating.com, watch the video about the four roots, see what resonates with you. But most of all, do not give up on your journey. We were not put on this planet to fight food. Food is no different than oxygen or water. And and we don't fight those things on a daily basis. So we shouldn't be fighting food. Food needs to be that asset to move that change out into the world, whether that change looks like showing up every day for your kids, taking your business to a new level, or anything in between, food will only hold you back. So it's time to really use it as that nourishing asset so that you can move forward and be free. And to let food nourish yourself the way you're like nurturing and nourishing others. Exactly, yes. Mm. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Such a great conversation. Thank you so much. We did it. Now, one of the things I absolutely love about the Find Your Awesome podcast is I get to meet amazing people. And Jessica is one of those amazing people. I I develop friendships with people through these conversations. People that I would never even know existed come into my life through the magic of this podcast. And then we develop relationships and connection. And I love it. So usually, and now is when I would tell you to shout this episode out on social media, and I'd still love it if you do that, but I'm currently taking a break from social media. So instead, I want to give you another option. Please share this episode with whoever needs it. I want everyone to have the opportunity to heal, and I want everyone to have the tools to heal. So please share this far and wide. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, please reach out to me through email. Send me an email at info at kelseyabbott.com. A few other items of business. I'm making some updates to the website. So check out kelseyabbott.com and there might be some brand new stuff up there by the time this episode airs. So go check it out. And again, you can email me at that email address info at kelseyabbott.com if you go there and there's nothing new and say, Kelsey, where is it? Um, If you need meditations at this time, or you knew someone who does, 
You can get free meditations at kelseyabbott.com slash meditations. If you want to join us for core class on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, go to kelseyabbott.com slash core. And if you're interested in a human design reading, whether an individual human design reading just for you or a partner human design reading, go to kelseyabbott.com slash human design. I love you. You are an incredible being. Go forth and be awesome. And thank you so much for listening. Doodaloo.